Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. There have been several films about the life of gay Irish playwright and celebrity Oscar Wilde, notably the two starring Peter Finch and Robert Morley back in 1960, and a more recent one starring Stephen Fry. But the latest concentrates on his last few months and may very well be the best one yet. <laughs> Your appreciation has been most intelligent. Which persuades me that you think almost as highly of the play as I do myself. The Happy Prince is not only the name of one of the greatest and saddest fairy tales ever written, it's also a film about the rarely told last act of its author, Oscar Wilde. It stars Rupert Everett, who's very good, unsurprisingly, slightly more surprising as he wrote and directed it as well. As far as I can tell, it's the first film he's directed, though you wouldn't know it. It looks brilliant. It's like a French Impressionist painting. So, Rupert, congratulations on the film. And is this, in fact, the first film you've directed, or have you done other stuff as well? It's the first film I've directed, Simon, and um, I'm hoping uh, to keep going and direct my second uh, next year. That's my dream. Great performances all the way through, and you clearly called in some favours because you've got a fantastic cast, and often in small roles. Yes, I coerced everybody I knew uh, into being in the movie, and uh, I must say, I think uh, the, the performances, and, even, and as you say, even the small roles are played by people who are incredibly overqualified. And I think that's one of the things that's striking about the film. Uh, the small roles uh, are played so beautifully. Without Colin Firth and Emily Watson and Tom Wilkinson, the movie would not have happened because the money was all dependent on them showing up. So it was amazing uh, act of friendships on their behalf to, to come and help me do it. Your own performance as Oscar Wilde is fantastic. I mean, it's such a, a range of things that you cover, but I wondered how difficult it was directing yourself since this was your first directing gig. Well, actually, Simon, I really enjoyed working with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, in the edit, you can make your own performance so much better. And because I knew exactly what I was attempting to do as an actor, as a director, I could really enhance it sometimes. And um, I, I loved directing the film and I loved working with the other actors. Of course, none of them really needed any direction at all. They knew exactly what they were doing. And so that was very lucky for me. And um, I, I must say, I, I really enjoyed directing it. And um, what, the thing that I did wrong as an actor quite often, because I was always in such a hurry to get on to the next scene because we had such a difficult schedule, I'd sometimes move too fast and go too fast. And I think pace, in a way, for an actor is the most important ingredient for him to, to connect with the audience. Uh, if it's too fast, people turn off. If it's too slow, people get bored. I think my pace was sometimes too fast because I was screeching into a room just to try and get the scene over. So I, I managed to unweave some of that in the edit and put my pace back to the right pace. And I really improved my own performance. So I did enjoy working with myself as a director, I must say. <laughs> We've seen the story of Oscar Wilde's downfall before, but th most of these treatments usually stop at the gates of Reading Jail, don't they? They, you know, That's look, right. he was That's up right. there and he was down there, the end, you know. But what inspired you to try and tell the story of his last act, if you like? 
Well, first of all, I think uh, the other three films cop out a little bit for one reason or another, and they just can't face up to really what was done to Oscar Wilde by society. And for me, I suppose, uh, you know, having negotiated a career all these years in a, uh, as a gay man in a, in a largely boys' clubbish uh, business like show business, this side of the story, the, the passion of Oscar Wilde, uh, in a way, the, the destruction of Oscar Wilde at the hands of society, uh, is the story that I wanted to tell. Because, funnily enough, this is still the story of the homosexual man, lesbian and transgender around the world. If we take the, world, the whole globe, in three quarters of it, it's still a life and death uh, challenge, be your, your sexuality. And even in our, in our world, where, where we've made such vast strides in the last 117 years, we're still a, a minority and, and things change all the time. So I feel that this story is really a story for now. And we still have this amazing obsession about sexuality in the world. We've touched a little on your directing of this, Rupert, but in fact the writing is a very critical part of this film too. It must have been very difficult to get the structure right. Well, one of the things I knew right at the beginning is because of the other three films, uh, I, the territory of his fame and his uh, you know, rise to fame and being the life and soul of the Café Royal and being uh, in the theatre, I, I, I knew I didn't want to deal with very much of that. What I was really interested in was dying and his deathbed, really, and the room, because that's a famous room with the wallpaper and... And the great joke about the wallpaper. And the great joke about the wallpaper and, and the idea of what happens to a man when he starts dying, when his brain starts collapsing, almost like a cliff edge crumbling off. Hmm. and the memories that are locked inside it coming out. The, the way I thought of writing the script, because I didn't want to write a conventional biopic that goes from A to Z of a famous person's life, I wanted it to have a, a, a mysterious and magical quality. And, and so it's really a dream, almost, that a man has about the rest of his life. And that's what he says at the beginning of the film. He looks at the camera and says, it's a dream. And then he takes the camera on this journey through his last days, in which his brain takes one last look at the past, really. It's interesting who stuck by him, because he had um, very loyal friends and one poisonous friend that he should have got rid of. Yes, he had three loyal friends. I mean, what, what's difficult for people to understand now is it was just death to someone to be seen with him. You need to be very brave to consort with Oscar Wilde. Uh, you know, he was literally the devil to the English people. So to, to consort openly with him, uh, most, most of his friends fell by the wayside. And when he lived in Paris, he would see them crossing the road to avoid him. But three friends stood by him, Robbie, Reggie, and in a way, actually, Bosie stood by him too. Sure. Poisonous. But he didn't really, uh, he, 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 he destroyed him, but he never turned his back on him completely. I think that you covered it very nicely when it was patently obvious there was Mr. Wright. Robbie was just such a lovely person and was the right, the right person for him, but he just didn't fancy him. Whereas Bosie was... He didn't see it. He didn't see it until, the, until it was almost too late. But I think by the end he did see that Robbie was his man in a way. It's very hard to sort of cast your mind back to that era, actually, Rupert, because we say that at the time it was as if nobody 
nobody had ever heard of homosexuality. Nobody had ever heard of... I, I can't believe that it was such a big shock to people, but it clearly was. No, wait a minute, Simon. <laughs> uh, no, the thing was, what, what was interesting, they wouldn't have been gay. They would, have, And also, no one would have really known about it except for the people they were doing it with. For example, women would never, ever, ever have imagined, because they never talked with men about sex anyway. They would never have imagined that men could have sex with each other. They hardly knew that men had sex with women. <laughs> Really. So all that did happen, of course, tons of things happened, was utterly secret. So it didn't have a name. It didn't have um, an image in society until really the Oscar Wilde scandal. No one really knew what it was. And so when you saw Oscar Wilde walking down the street in Paris, and remember, he was famous, even without photographs and television. People knew who, that, that it was him. Sure. They could point at him and say, that is this new thing, a homosexual man. And the name is to know. And once that name had come out, then the road to gay liberation really could get going. I was wondering if he was difficult to write because he was so contradictory. He seemed to be so self-destructive in some ways, but also a Christian and obsessed in a way with Queen Victoria, according to your film. (laughs) He loved Queen Victoria. (laughs) Well, I think that gives the writer lots more uh, arrows to his quiver, really. It's lucky that he's such a big character because he's not a conventional hero. You know, he has tremendous flaws. And he makes incredible mistakes. And is quite contradictory. Uh, he's fairly cruel to his wife, at least. And I think that is what makes him not easier to write, but it gives you lots more to write. I wondered whether Bozy was an easy person to get under the skin of. There's a, a very harsh scene where Bozy dismisses Oscar Wilde's talent. He dismisses everything he's ever written in one poisonous sentence and I thought (laughs) I've never seen anybody do that before I thought it was a brilliant line but I just wondered was he difficult to get under the skin of I think he part of him no in a way I I, I felt I could get a good grip on him there he was he was an aristocratic young man he befriended this big star who took him out for dinner and gave him clothes and spent you know really tons of money on him Uh, but deep inside you know Oscar Wilde to Bosey, who is an English aristocrat, which is like being, you know, a saint, really. Uh, Oscar Wilde was an Irishman, and to the English at that point, at the zenith of empire, the Irish were really at the bottom of the pile. And so I think, you know, Bosey certainly looked down on Oscar inside himself. And obviously, like all young people, he thought he was the most brilliant person on the planet, and uh, everyone else was a subsidiary. So uh, I think he probably did feel that about Wilde in a way. I have to ask about the fairy story, The Happy Prince. When did he write Mm. that? Did he write that before he went to jail or did he write that afterwards? Uh, Way before. He wrote it in 1883, really before even he became seriously famous as as a playwright. He wrote the fairy stories. They're astonishing. Yes, they're very dark as well. And, uh, and uh, it's quite extraordinary that we as children heard them because they're quite a handful. And they're quite scary in a way because they're all about love and suffering and the price paid for love, all these things. Um, one particular one, The Nightingale and the Rose, is the most extraordinarily painful. Of course, they're all dripping with Christianity and, uh, and, and, and Christ consciousness as well. The weird thing about Oscar Wilde is that even at his lowest, he seemed to have a gift for being loved. You, he, he spends most of the time in this film in France, doesn't he? Um, and, That's right. 
and everyone seems to like him, despite the fact that he treats them badly. He doesn't pay any of his bills, and you know, <laughs> he's he's a yes, sort of a nightmare. He's a, yes, he's like a, he's like a little Irish tinker. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, what's amazing about him in exile is that he never becomes a victim. He carves his own constitution. On, now it's on the street corner and not in the West End, and he replaces the royalty and the movie stars with uh, low-life rent boys and petty criminals, and he holds forth uh, in bars and on tables and performs. He's a great performer, Wilde. He can't live without performing, and uh, he finds a new world to perform to and new friends, and he's loved. Uh, I think when he comes around the corner in Paris in 1900, yes, of course, it's a tragedy, his life, but there's a whole new group of people who are absolutely thrilled that he's arrived and talk about him and think about him and care about him. So uh, I think his life, even in defeat, is wonderfully inspiring. I think also that the look of the film, I mean, you look at some of these shots, particularly when he's sitting outside a bar and you think, well, that's Manet, isn't it? You know, it's very French impressionistic. You, you must have had a very good relationship with your cameraman. I had an amazing cameraman and... Um, he really was the person who pulled the whole project off for me. He and my designer uh, were just did the most amazing job. But the cameraman and I were really on the same page, and he was a remarkable character. I wondered also where Oscar Wilde fits in the journey towards gay liberation. I mean, as you said, he, once he named it, it suddenly became part of the conversation, it was if you like. With him. The gay liberation movement really started in 1900 with Oscar Wilde's death. Uh, that's when the whole thing took off. And we're still walking in that, uh, in that, on that path now. So everyone in the LGBTQ community, he really is their patron saint or, or their Christ figure. I wonder what he'd think of uh, the, the LGBTQ movement now. I mean, I, I just can't imagine anybody less likely to want to be woke. What's woke? Woke is this sort of thing where pe- earnest and humorless political correctness, I guess, is what it is. It's, it's a sort is of a that, thing... Is that like... A, no, no, he would hate being woke, I think. <laughs> um, but I think he'd be fascinated by something. Yeah. He'd be fascinated by the notion of marriage, uh, for example... But the thing is, you can't really take a historical character. He's so much of his time, that last moment before Freud, before the 20th century, before modernism, before war, before suffrage. He's, one, he's a comma in that whole phrase of, of major change, but he really fits in there and nowhere else, I think. After this experience, are you planning to make another film soon, Rupert? I mean, you've you clearly got the bit between your teeth. It's, it's a fantastic piece of work. Well, thank you very much. I would love to make another film, but, you know, you, it's always famous. To, to, the making your second film is harder than making your first film. So I don't know whether I'll pull it off. Um, I'm quite old now, but, yes, I loved, I'd love to make another film. Do you have sort of a, an acting job sort of hovering in the wings at the moment or are you sort of doing this um, first? I've got a couple of, um, couple of things I might be doing uh, in the wings and um, I've written another script that I'm trying to get moving. I'm just pushing and pushing. You have to keep working in this business. If you stop and rest for a second, you drown like an old shark. <laughs> <laughs> That's Rupert Everett, star, writer and director of The Happy Prince, a remarkable film about the last days of Oscar Wilde, and it comes out on Boxing Day. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.